Amen. If you have your Bibles, I got two passages we're going to be. Our main passage is going to be 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. So go ahead and turn there if you have your tablet or your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3. But before we begin reading that, I want you to look, turn in your Bible. This is, there's no slide for this scripture. God kind of impressed on me to share this first before we get into this. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 first. Many of you probably know my story, but I grew up here at Harvest Time Bible Church under Pastor Dalmas's teaching and preaching. I grew up in a youth group here. Uh, my wedding to my beautiful wife was right here on this stage um, all those years ago now. And when, after we re- got married, we had just graduated from Sauk Valley Community College, and we went over to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, where Leah and I completed our education. But part of the education that I was to go through in that, I was studying youth ministry at the time, and part of my job was to do kind of an internship at a local church, uh, where I had to go and do ministry, volunteer Um, ministry with these folks, and it was a great opportunity for me to kind of cut my teeth in ministry um, with perfect strangers, and um, it was a a blessed time. But what's interesting is that there are many different types of churches that were looking for help. Um, for, For many of us here might not realize this, but a majority of churches in the United States of America are not as large as harvest time. In fact, the majority of churches in the United States average um, 50 or below. That's probably a vast majority of where churches are. And God uses those amazing churches for his kingdom. The church I had been called to was in a small town in Virginia, and I'm not going to tell you what small town because of the story I'm about to share with you. Um, We were... I was young. I was going there every Sunday, so I was probably about 22 years old. I had um, this group of like eight teenage boys who were really into professional wrestling and other things at the time and hunting, and they had mullets because, you know, we were, we were in the hills of Virginia, and I was really experiencing my inner hillbilly, if you didn't know my family's from Arkansas. So the inner hillbilly was coming out, and I really enjoyed it, uh, my time with them. We were studying all kinds of different things through the, through the Old and New Testament, and these kids were really learning something. And um, Another thing you might not know about my family is that my wife comes from a Jewish family. Um, her mother converted from Judaism to Christianity when she was at Ohio State University. Interesting part of it, uh, missionaries from China came to the United States and preached the gospel on Ohio State University, and my mother-in-law got saved. You ever think about the U.S. being the mission field? Um, yes, we are. So my, she got saved, and as a result of that, my wife and her family converted to Christianity. She, Leah gave her life to the Lord. Anyway, I was sharing some of those details with, the, with my youth group back at, the, at that point, talking about God's promises to the people of Israel, that his promises stand strong, his promises don't change, the reality of that God has made promises to Israel that still do stand to this day, and that uh, we'll be honored because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I was sharing that with them to show about God's um, consistency of his character and who he is. And it was just a really great time. And I thought it was, went really well until I got a phone call from a parent. And I'm like, what? I, you know, I, little did I know that phone calls from church people is fairly common for pastors um, and parents specifically at times if they don't agree with something you're teaching. So uh, this parent called me up and was 
basically had this conversation saying, I heard that you told the kids that your wife came from a Jewish background, um, and I think you need to keep that quiet. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Why would I keep that quiet? And this is what they said. They said, um, two of our deacons are members of the KKK. And if that gets out at our church, it could be problems for you and your family. Yeah, now, here, here's, here's what's interesting. They, they liked me, and they wanted to hire me. I did not accept the position. Okay? Now, the, the reason, why do I share that? I share that because here's the reality of where we are as a church. You can be a part of God's church as far as attending. You can be part of God's church as far as being religiously active. You can be a deacon. You can be an elder. You can do all of these things that look like you're following Christ on the outside, and you can still be unsaved on the inside. Now listen, I'm a, I've been in ministry for 25 years, and I have become more and more convinced that People who attend church are not all really followers of Jesus. No matter how many times we preach the gospel, we tell you, listen, we tell you that every one of us is a sinner in need of a savior. Every one of us is somebody who is a, who if we surrender our life to Christ, if we understand, if we, Romans says, if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead for our sins, if we believe those things, that we can be saved. But in order to be saved, you have to first understand that you were lost. And for a lot of people, specifically religious people, the idea of being lost is completely foreign to them. They've, you know, I've heard people say this. I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. The Bible says we are born under sin. We have a sin nature, so we are born in sin by nature and by choice. And because of that, we are separated from God, which is the very reason that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died a death he didn't deserve to pay the penalty of my sin and your sin, so that if we believe and trust in his salvation, in his name, that we can receive Christ. But step number one to receiving that free gift is understanding that you need it. And if you don't believe you need it, you can't receive it. And there's a lot of folks in the American church and church around the world who are placing their trust in the fact that they are good people. I was catechized. Cat, was that the word? I was catechized. I, was, I, took, I took communion. I, went through the, I was baptized as an infant. I was baptized as an adult. Or how about this? I prayed a prayer when I was seven years old. And we are placing our faith in these actions of religious activity, but they have made no difference in the long-term effect spiritually because we have not placed our faith in the right person. We are still trusting in ourselves instead of trusting in Jesus. Now, why do I share that with you today? Because I'm afraid that for a lot of a lot of evil things in the history of this world have been done in the name of God's church. If you study history, some terrible things have been done in the name of God's church, but I've got news for you. 
Those are not God's people that do those terrible things. Now, can God's people do terrible things? Oh, yes. Yes, they can, unfortunately. But in reality, we need to understand that in order for us to be followers of Jesus, we have to come to the point where we recognize that we are not righteous enough on our own. We will never be righteous enough on our own. Our actions will never be good enough on our own. We can never reach God through our own effort. We have to trust that he has come down for us. My job as a pastor is not to convince you that you're saved. And my job as a pastor is not to convince you that you're not. My job as a pastor is to share with you what the word of God says about who we are in Christ and what should be true about us and then ask that you investigate your own heart as to whether or not you have actually placed your faith and trust in Christ or if you have placed your faith and trust in something else. Matthew 7 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, verse, verse 21, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? We were religiously active in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This concept of there being lost people intermixed with saved people within the context of the local church is something that Jesus talks about quite regularly and the disciples talk about it quite regularly because the most tragic thing that you could imagine would be somebody who spends their life in the church, hears the gospel their entire life, and never gives their life to Christ. And yet there are people that have that happen. So... Today, we want you to know that we are preaching the gospel, but we want you to investigate your own heart. I am not, I'm hoping this is, does not cause undue doubt in the, in the lives. That is not my heart. My heart is for us to understand what the scripture says and, and, and apply it to our life and have an honest appraisal of where we are spiritually. Because we need to understand that if we are lost, we need to be found. And if we have been found, then these things need to be true of who we are in Jesus Christ. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse number 8. I like to read the entire passage and then go back and pick it apart and give us some things, observations from it. But let me give you a little bit of context. Peter is writing, and he is writing about what Christians should look like in the world. Basically, um, people claiming Christ, their, their behavior, their attitudes and all that should be reflective of Christ in a world that's lost and dying. So much so that how they act in culture um, is actually preaching the gospel as much or more than the words that they use. Um, in other words, when, when stuff is happening in their life, their responses to negativity are different than the way the world responds. When, when, when people are, that they love are dying, they, they grieve, but they grieve differently. The, the scripture says that we grieve with hope, right? The world, have you ever been to a funeral where somebody didn't know the Lord? A lot of those funerals have no hope. 
And it's an incredibly sad experience when there is no hope of reunication through Jesus Christ. But if you go to a, a, a funeral of a believer, there is sadness involved, right? You will miss them, but there is a hope that one day we will see them Again, and that hope brings a sense of joy to a, a, a Christian's funeral that is different than the world has. The reality of where we are is that when we are dealing with life, how we respond to life should be reflective of Christ and be different than the way the world responds to circumstances. The first part of chapter three is how husbands and wives are to relate to each other. The concept of, of submission and love is, is flushed out. And the reality that both husbands and wives are to die to themselves to serve their spouse. Marriage in, with Christian people is supposed to be different. Because we are called to die to ourselves to serve the other person. And it's from that context we go right into verse number 8. Peter is saying, listen, Christians, these things are true about you. Are you living them? Verse 8, read with me. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That word could be translated insulting. So don't repay insult for insult. But on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18, listen to this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What an amazing, amazing scripture, and what an amazing, amazing gift. Peter is describing in this passage the, the way that our lives should be lived in a process of sanctification that, that in which we become more and more like Christ so that our responses to circumstances are more reflective of Jesus than the world around us. Uh, one commentator I read, specifically dealing with verse number 8, if you want to flip back there and look at it really quick, notice he gives certain characteristics that we're going to kind of break apart here. First, he says, all of you, in the English Bible, it has a comma there. All of you have unity of mind, indicating that it might be a command for you to come up with that power yourself. One commentator I read says this, that comma might not, it should be there. And instead it should be read, all of you have unity of mind. All of you have sympathy. All of you have brotherly love. All of you 
have a tender heart. All of you have a humble mind. This fits with the concept of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You guys remember those? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith, and all the rest. When we give our life to Christ and the Holy Spirit moves into our hearts, suddenly the Lord begins working in us and making things supernaturally happen that would not be there otherwise. Let me ask you this question. In this world, do you see a lot of unity of mind? Do you see people that are unified together around a common cause of good? Do you see a lot of sympathy? Maybe, here and there. Do you see a lot of brotherly love? Do you see a lot of people who are tender-hearted toward others? Do you see a lot of humility? I want to venture to say that those concepts, apart from the Holy Spirit, are impossible to live. We may express them on occasion um, when the time arrives in the right way at the right time, but in reality, to have a life that's completely reflective of those things, is in, in order to have that, the Holy Spirit has to be within us, making miraculous work in our hearts, because I don't want to be harmonious with everybody. I don't like everybody. Why would I want to be in harmony with somebody I don't like? Right? But Peter is saying, listen, these things are true about you, so you have some choices to make. So let's break them apart. What does it mean to have harmony of mind? Um, Scripture says he is harmonious. That is, it means having a common mindset, not necessarily all the same tastes, gifts, or habits, not even always all the same interpretation of every scripture, but the things that matter, the essentials of faith, the foundations that we have, God, salvation, salvation, virtue, truth, who Jesus is, those things should bring unity within the context of the body so that we have a foundational thing from which we can launch into how we live our life. And yet, how many churches have you seen that have been divided over those other things instead of united under what matters. Let me ask you this for your life. Are you somebody who has a harmony of mind with other believers? Do you seek that? Do you desire that? Is there any part of you that wants that? Or do you find yourself desiring separation, anger? I'm telling you that in my years of ministry, I have seen people in church who have no desire for harmony and have always a desire for conflict. Again, harmony of mind doesn't mean we have to agree. I don't agree with all of you. I don't even agree with me half the time. (laughs) And if you're honest, you're the same way, right? But harmony of mind means that when it comes to what matters, we are unified and we don't allow the secondary issues to distract us from the main purpose, which is to go and make disciples. We have a harmony of mind. Number two, sympathy. Feeling what others feel so that you can respond with sensitivity to their need. People who have true sympathy are not necessarily people who say, I sympathize with you. Instead, they will will walk alongside with people and love on them even in the midst of the darkest of times. Do you have any desire to care for people who are struggling? To walk along with them knowing that someday you're going to struggle and you're going to need somebody to walk alongside with you. Sympathy. Number three is in that same passage. Brotherly love. What does that mean? Um, this means that when we are looking, meeting other followers of Jesus, we don't look at them as strangers or as mere acquaintances. We are family. 
Nobody agrees with that. Listen, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are family with every other person on this planet who has placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. They are family. Now, the thing about family is you don't always get along with family. Amen. Amen. Thank you, honey. <laughs> you don't always. Sometimes families squabble, don't they? But the reality is, is that there's always should be a baseline of love for family. I accept you because you're my family. We have the same dad. God the Father is my father. He has forgiven me much. He has forgiven you much. So therefore, we can have that in common. None of us are perfect. Right? Not one person in this room is perfect. So we are all in need of amazing grace. And because of that, we can express love for one another. And yet, how many times have we set standards for other people that even God has not set? And have expectations of those people for behavior and the way they act that God has not even set. And we make the love that we have for other people conditional based on their behavior. That's not what God does. In fact, God came down to save us because we couldn't meet a standard on our own. We couldn't save ourselves. And yet sometimes Christians have higher standards for people than God does. You have harmony of mind. You have sympathy for others. You have brotherly love. You have tender hearts. Same passage, same verse. You're kind-hearted. Now, this is not necessarily a word about conduct. This is literally, in the context, talks about your inner being, your guts. It's, it's honestly wanting to be kind and caring for somebody else because they are hurting. It's, it's very similar to sympathy, except it's more internal. It's more visceral. And I'll give you an example from my life um, that I shared in first service. It was, it was kind of a hard one. When, when my brother passed away last year, um, I grieved for myself from the loss of my brother. I love him and I miss him. But I was gutted thinking about his wife and his kids. In my gut, I was compassionate for what they have lost and wanted to do, be involved in the process of being kind-hearted toward them to help meet their need. The church that they are part of up there has gone out of their way to supply the needs of my brother's wife. They, they, they are not obligated to do so by any law or policy, but the church has gathered around them to meet their, their physical and spiritual needs. And it's been an amazing thing because they have tender hearts to the needs of my brother's family. That should be a part of the church DNA tenderhearted. And finally, for this part of the sermon, humility. They are humble of mind. This, it's not just that we are to act the role of a servant, but we need to remember over and over and over again just what we have been saved from. Remember what it's like to be lost. Remember that you were saved from sin too. We are all sinners saved by grace, turned into saints by the action of God. But in reality, we need to have a, humili a humility about us in order to recognize that we have been saved much and have been recipients of much grace. So we need to be willing to be distributors of much grace. 
So my belief is what Peter is saying is those things should be true about you from the Holy Spirit. Those things should be working themselves out in you through the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking you to do a heart check right now. Look at your own self. Do you have a desire for harmony of mind? Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it. Doesn't mean your flesh is not going to fight against it. Of course your flesh is going to fight against it. That's what your flesh does. But is there a desire in you to be unified with other people around the important things? Do you have sympathy for those who are hurting? Do do you have a love for the family of God even when they annoy you because they will and they do? Do you have a tender heart for those who are suffering? Do you have any desire to be humble? Do you recognize that the righteousness in you is not your righteousness? You didn't make it. It was given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, you have nothing to be proud of when it comes to the gospel. It's all about humility and recognizing your need for salvation. This is not something that we are to be arrogant about because it was a gift of God. Not of works. Why is it not of works? So we can't boast about it. And I'm going to make a strong statement here. If none of those things ring true in your life, You have no desire for harmony. You don't have any sympathy for other people. You have no desire to love the the, the brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not tenderhearted to anybody outside of yourself, and you're not humble. I want you to seriously consider that you might not know Jesus. Now, it's not for me to convince you whether you're saved or not. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that these things should be working themselves out in the heart of Christians. And through the years, I have had people like that KKK person come in who is expressing all these different terrible, hateful ideologies in the name of Jesus and the church. And I'm telling you that if you can do that, then in reality, you need to consider whether or not you know Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ moves into our hearts and he makes changes. We don't stay the same. Things are different. Now, moving on in the passage. All of this does not change in the heart of the believer, even when you face unjust suffering. Those things, even even when somebody does something mean-spirited to you or you disagree with them, we should still be able and willing to respond with those characteristics through the power of the Holy Spirit because it's not about what we're making up in our own strength. It is about what God is doing in our life and in our heart in those moments. That is why when those things happen, our responses preach the gospel. When somebody is mean to you at your job and you respond to them in love, that preaches the gospel to them in a way that gives you a platform to be able to speak the truth of who Jesus is because you're not responding the way other people respond in those circumstances. When we are able to love the unlovable, Be kind to the unkind. When we are able and willing to do what needs to be done, according to the passage, that in itself lends us a platform for sharing the gospel. So if those things are natural outgrowths of our relationship with God, there are some things that we we are responsible to do out of of those particular characteristics. So go back to verse 9. Verse 9. This is what he says. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, insult for insult. But on the contrary, hear this, bless. For to this you have been called. 
that you may obtain a blessing. We have been on this series of building bridges for a long time. And what we're talking about here is the building the bridge of blessing who? The person that has offended me most, who has treated me like garbage, the person who has spread rumors about me, who hasn't listened to me, who doesn't do what I want them to do, that talks bad about me behind my back. We're to bless that person? Yes. In fact, God says in that passage, Peter writes, this is the call on your life to bless, not to curse. Jesus goes on to say, love your enemy. We have a hard enough time loving people we like. Loving our enemy. If you can love your enemy, that is going to show that you are different than this world. Because the world doesn't love enemies. The world destroys enemies. But God has called us to be different. So what are the actions? Number one, we are not to repay evil for evil. Do not repay evil for evil. But Aaron, they did this. Do not repay evil for evil. Well, they said this. Do not repay evil for evil. As a parent, how many times have you told your children this? Well, they hit me first, mom. Well, you can't hit them back just because they hit you. Oh, yeah? Are you living that, mom? Are you living that, dad? Do not repay evil for evil. Number two, do not repay insults for insults. Guys, we live in a world where on social media, every single day, insults fly around like arrows. People are calling each other idiots because they have different political ideologies and all that kind of stuff that's going on. It is ridiculous. If you're a follower of Jesus, that should not be you. Speak truth. Later on in the passage, we write it. It says, speak truth, but how do, how do we do it? With gentleness, right, and kindness and respect. We speak truth with gentleness, kindness, and respect. But we do not return evil for evil, insult for insult, because when we do that, all we're doing is, is allowing our testimony to be destroyed because we have allowed ourselves to use the tools of the world to fight the world. And God has said in this passage, listen, be different, live different, respond different. Number one, not repaying evil for evil. Number two, not insulting for insults instead. Number three, bless the evildoer. And there is nothing inside of me that wants to do that except for the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go and bless an evil person that's doing something that's hurting me or my family or somebody else, but that is what God's call is on our life. In fact, he says, it's your call. Bless the evildoer. Bless the insulter. In other words, bless even our enemy. And what's interesting about this passage, and I'm, I'm wrapping up, is that we tend to think that this is something that we are going to earn through our own effort, and the results are something we earn. But there does seem to be something conditional about this in the passage, starting in verse 9. The scripture says this, if I can find my passage again. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, why? That you may obtain a blessing. And then in verse number 11 through the end of the passage we already read, the idea there is that 
If you want to have a good life, bless other people. If you want to experience God's blessing on your life, serve other people. Do all these things. Now, I want to make it clear that this is not saying that, it, that, that you have to earn God's blessing. I believe God's blessing is his presence. It is given to you at the moment of salvation. You get to have that forever. But it works itself out in your life. You have access to it when you allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate your heart and your life, and it changes how you behave. If you live in a way that is not reflective of these things, then that blessing, even though you have access to it and you may even possess it, you won't experience it in the application of your life. You will, you will feel unblessed. You won't feel the, the peace of God that passes understanding because you are living in a way that is reflective of God's, of the world's character and not of God's character. So if you want to live in the reality of God's blessing, bless your enemy. If you want to have peace in your heart and your life that God has promised to give you, if you want to love your life, the rest of the passage says this, keep your tongue from evil and deceit. In other words, don't lie and don't, don't gossip. These are fruits of what's happening in your life. Turn away from evil. Do good for other people. Seek and pursue peace. As a follower of Jesus, these things should be the natural outgrowth of who we are. You see, God's blessing is conditional on one thing and one thing alone. Receiving God's free gift of salvation through Christ and the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. But as a follower of Jesus, I can live outside of the reality of that by choosing to live my life under the values of the world and not allowing what God says to be true about me to work itself out in my daily living. When I choose to view my enemy as somebody to be destroyed or, or argued with or, 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 instead of my mission field, then I am missing the point of the gospel. All that to say this. I am not here to convince you of your salvation. But I'm asking you to ask you this question. Is there any desire in you? To live at peace with others. Is there any desire in you to share the gospel with others? <clears throat> Is there any desire in you to be filled with harmony? Is there any desire in you to be sympathetic to people who are experiencing life differently than you? Is there any desire in you to love God's people? Are you tenderhearted at all toward others? If there is nothing of that in you, I just ask, consider Asking the Lord to reveal to you whether or not you know him. And if, he, if you do know him, ask him to change your heart. Because this, everybody, is how we are going to win this world to Christ. It is not by being mean and, telling, and, and launching truth bombs at people and, and being hateful and nasty. It is by speaking truth with gentleness and respect and kindness and reminding people that Jesus Christ died for their sin just like he died for yours. They need him. We need him. So as we sing this last song, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Take a moment and talk to the Lord. Ask yourself those questions. Do a, just an examination of your heart. Are these things true about me? Is there any desire in my heart to see those things become true about me? Has God changed me at all?
Many, many will stand before God one day having placed their faith in all kinds of religious stuff. And God will say, I never knew you. Depart from me because they placed their faith in the church in religious activity instead of, instead of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus today? Father, work in our hearts today. Help us to listen to your voice. Lord, may these things be true about us. Again, none of us are perfect, but we know that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you can work these things out in our lives so that we can love the unlovable. We can build a bridge to those who are our enemy, and we can bless those who curse us because that is what you are called us to do, because that is what you did on that cross. Draw us closer to yourself today, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Go ahead and stand up with us as we sing this final song. The altars will be open.